take two, Kevin Watts, take two <laughs> on the on the newest episode of the Endless Promo Podcast. We've already wasted some time, so let's get into it. Today, we're talking about Young Guns, Kevin Watts. Young Guns, released August 12th, 1988. We just missed the 35th anniversary of this late 80s gem of a sort of Brett Pack-ish group uh, on horses and in cowboy hats, followed closely by uh, its brother Young Guns 2 in 1990. So, you know, we, uh, we love talking films of the era. We love talking guy stuff of the era. And Young Guns certainly fits that bill, my friend. Kevin, this was one of those movies that, I mean, it it painted the the canvas of my '80s and '90s action movie portrait. I I can recall watching this movie probably way more than I should be allowed to have watched it at the age I was. Because one one uh, thing that dominated the household that I grew up in was uh, HBO and predominantly HBO VHSs. So ripping the HBO trademark protected movies off of uh, HBO. Uh, Young Guns was... I wouldn't say it was uh, my favorite action movie back in the day, but it was in a rotation of in our opinions, what, the coolest era of dude-worthy action movies? Yeah, it, it definitely nestled right into that era. And I will say, you know, I grew up on kind of the, like, the very, very, very end of the initial wave of popularity of, like, anything cowboy-related. I think when I was a kid, I had, like, one cowboy gun, and maybe I had some boots or something when I was, like, three. But... You know, it was all about the army guys. And then Young Guns came out and was like, wow, cowboys are cool. Yeah, it kind of resurrected for a lot of little boys, you know, that 50s, 60s era cowboys and Indians domination. You know, you look back in the annals of dude films or dude-centric films. I think the, the films of our dad's era, it was all basically two things. It was World War II, cowboys and Indians. Yep, yep. No, that was it. But uh, for guys like us, you know, you throw you throw Emilio in there, you throw Kiefer in there, some uh, Diamond Lou Phillips, as I like to call him, and now you're cooking with gas. Yeah, I on mean, the range on the range, as it were. We we're we're gonna have to get into at some point the fact that when it came to casting, I'm trying to think of uh, I'm trying to think of an ensemble cast in current form. That really has like I don't know like three, four, five of the cooler male actors all on the same film, um, and that's always something that kind of stood out for me with Young Guns was you're looking back in history at that time, you got Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland. There's a brief cameo by Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes you know it's it's kind of insane to me it's i always think of uh and i know we talk about this movie probably way too much in our normal non-podcast conversations but that lineup in old school right you know where you're getting vince vaughn you're getting will ferrell you're getting uh, you know luke wilson like it's it just doesn't stop the hits don't stop this movie is very much in that line of every actor this is not maybe not peak career, but this is when their their career is starting to boil. Oh yeah, I mean Emilio Estevez is already pretty big from you know Breakfast Club and Saint Elmo's Fire, and then Kiefer Sutherland had gotten big from Stand by Me and Lost Boys. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips had Stand at the Liver, like you know they had done some things, but to have them all agree to come on board. Uh, along with, I mean, a bunch of other stars, like just so people who haven't seen it, you know, the uh, the main stars in it we've talked about, but you've also got Jack Palance, you've got um, Terrence Stamp, 
you you know from like Superman fame and all kinds of uh, older films. You've got Terry O'Quinn, who later became huge and lost. Um, you know, it's just Casey Sides Masco, who was big in the eighties, three o'clock high. I mean, it was just chock full of like big names of the day. So, um, pretty remarkable from that respect. Not that I don't do this all the time, but watching it again in my adult life and somehow blocking out that's Locke from Lost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how often I, I do. It's criminal how many times I rewatch something and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a and, celebrity from one of the movies that are one of the shows I'm currently watching. And, uh, and the boss from old school. Yeah. So. It's insane. It's insanity. <laughs> um, it's, it's also kind of funny to me to, to look back on this movie and, uh, I don't know why, and maybe this is a little off. You can always correct me. You, you do so often and I appreciate you for it. I'm going to correct you on your parenting skills. I need some regulators up in the O'Callaghan household. Yeah, there's always, there's always screaming at this home. A lot of, um, a lot of yelping, hooting and hollering. Full disclosure, that is my wife screaming <laughs> at our children uh, because she's screamed enough at me today that now she needs to redirect it to other people. So <laughs> uh, getting back to my point, uh, shout out to Mrs. McDonald, seventh grade, making us watch and write a book report on a movie called The Outsiders. Now, is, is there any, am I safe in having these two films in the same uh, file in my brain because of, like, we just talked about the ensemble cast and getting so many cool dudes together on one movie? Yeah, you're safe. And my, my mind went to the same spot. That definitely was, at least for this era, kind of the, uh, you know, the genesis of it. And some of the same guys, too, for that matter. Yeah. So, um, but... So regulators, um, it's going to be the elephant in the room, I think, with this podcast. If you've never heard the rap song that was, what, I guess inspired by the the movies, um, then you need to go out onto either Apple Music, Spotify, just cheat and go onto YouTube and look up Regulate by Warren G., Uh, Kevin and I debated just basically starting off the podcast and going through the entire lyric set of Regulate, (laughs) but we figured we needed to be more constructive with our time. Um, Kevin, how do you want to handle this this absolute phenomenal jam? Well, if you know like we know, you don't want to step to this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Keep going. it, It is, in fact, the endless promo funked out with a Young Guns twist. Wow. So let, let's just give for the uninitiated a brief synopsis of Young Guns, shall we? Sure. Um, so Young Guns tells like the Hollywood version of the actual Lincoln County War and surrounding events from 1978 and thereabouts in New Mexico. Um, this is where Billy the Kid and some other notable gunslingers of the day fought for one cattle baron who employed them against the corrupt sheriff and the competing cattle baron and their gunslingers. Um, In the movie, Billy and his deputized gang of regulators avenge the death of their employer, John Tunstall, who was one of the, one of the cattle guys. And he was murdered by the rival forces of the Murphy and Dolan company and their, their henchmen. So all manner of vengeance and stylistic gunplay and a fair amount of hilarity ensue in this 1988 gem. Now, I believe we read the same public information because uh, we talked about it before we got online. According to a notable historian, the events and depiction of one Billy the Kid and these historic events is, quote, the most accurate in terms of Hollywood movies that has ever been done? I saw the same thing. So, and although that may not be saying much uh, based on some Hollywood portrayals, it was... Right, you know, it's like saying, you know, he's actually the nicest murderer I've ever met. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, well, he still murdered somebody. But, like, um, to, there is some... You and I know this from our 
our history of history, true events are so much more colorful and entertaining than made-up ones. And the fact that even if loosely based on true events, this movie is somewhat near actual historical events is awesome. Yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because as a kid, when I first started watching it, unlike you know some of the critics of the day who seemed intent on pointing out you know little inaccuracies, I just assumed that it was a fake movie about you know loosely based on a true one guy. Yes, I figured it's like oh Billy the Kid, I know who he is. I just figured everything else was just made up. But to my very pleasant surprise. You know, as I got older and I started digging into history, I actually read a book on Billy the Kid uh, right after law school. And uh, it's remarkable how much of the movie actually is either entirely accurate or at least based on uh, you know certain accounts or versions of events that have been passed down, you know, for 150 years almost. Life is chocked full of eureka moments. Um. But the feeling you have when you watch a movie like Young Guns and then you fact check it and you realize it's not too far off. I mean, Eureka, right? Just say it out loud. It's it's so cool. I can think of a handful of other experiences I've had, you know, looking at um, certain films, certain TV shows. I mean, heck, we just spoke about a few weeks ago, Thomas Shelby. You know, it's like, okay, so what did they do? They they took liberties with, what, a decade? Because the actual Peaky Blinders were more like 1880s to 1910. So they just kind of wrote it around the World War One storyline and pretty much kept everything else in. Yeah. Well, that's – and so and – I'm, and I'm interested to hear what your – if you picked out any particular nuggets uh, that you – were really struck by in terms of their accuracy or, you know, close to accuracy as just an overarching comment though. I just find it, it for those who would nitpick a Hollywood movie, it's not a documentary and never purported to be. No. It, it, for those who would nitpick it, like some critics have done over the years, uh, I think misses the point it doesn't really detract from the movie that like Doc Skurlock was actually married and didn't rescue this sort of like, you know, indentured servant woman and, you know, take her to New York and become a teacher. Like, does, does that really detract from the movie? Cause if you're distracted by that, you sort of miss the bigger picture, which is like some of the most insane things they actually show happened. Yeah, I mean, just let's let's talk about the, uh, you know, Alexander McSween and the the fight with the U.S. Army and uh, local thugs where they actually escape like a burning home. That's legit. Yeah, perfect example. It's legit. It, and and maybe, yeah, maybe they take a few liberties with, I don't know, some of the, I mean, it, we don't have camera footage of the escape, but according to all historical documentation, that whole getting out of a burning building and escaping the United States military and a gang of thugs is true. Yeah, I mean, literally, there was a five-day siege on the streets of a U.S. city where hundreds of bullets whizzed back and forth across the street between rival gangs and with a regiment of U.S. Army soldiers on the scene with, by some accounts, an actual Gatling gun. So the idea that, like, okay, maybe they didn't all get out exactly the way it was shown really is beside the point. The point is they did, the the Dolan crew, Murphy Dolan crew, did light the building on fire. And some accounts say every room except one was already burned. So they were down to their last room when Billy the Kid kicks open the door and starts blazing and everybody, uh, not everybody, but some of the regulators, including Billy the Kid, escape. Like, that's pretty remarkable. Kevin, <laughs> it's incredible. It's it's literally, it's the magic 
of the historical West where, yes, I can guarantee there are some plot holes in a few of the stories that were told in the newspapers uh, from the post-Civil War era all the way up until the 1900s. However, not all of that is completely fictional. These men and women that settled the West and became infamous, they were living legends. And Absolutely right. the historical facts that many of uh, their notable events are based off of, it's 2023 and we're still talking about, I guess, the escapades and criminal activities of a man who lived in the late 1800s and uh, is kind of a folk hero, even though he was a pretty bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and his legend grew only because, or in large part because, of the, like, intensely improbable things he was able to pull off, you know? And again, this is where people get hung up on details, like, well, was it on this day, or did this actually happen first? Did they get it yeah. out of order? Like, who cares? Yeah. He actually, Billy the Kid, actually did, and this is portrayed in Young Guns too, actually, and so... Sorry to, you know, be sort of cross-pollinating here. But Young Gun 2 uh, explores, like, the immediate aftermath or the, you know, shortly thereafter aftermath of the Lincoln County War. So you're talking now, like, early 1880, something like that. That's when Billy the Kid gets captured, and he escapes twice. Yes. Like, he, he, he really did get out of his handcuffs. And, like, climb out of the cell. And then he really did go to the outhouse and either come back with a gun or somehow hide and escape from the deputy, Bell, who's portrayed in the movie. And, yes, he did shoot him after escaping. And he did shoot uh, Sheriff Bob from the second-story window with his shotgun that he found in the sheriff's office. All that happened. Yeah. So, you know, does it matter that the year wasn't quite right or that somebody may not have been there? Who cares? Does it matter that Emilio Estevez is much more handsome than the grainy photos I've actually seen of Billy the Kid? Yeah. Someone slapped that man with an ugly stick, Kevin. (laughs) But I did. So I did read. I read an account and I've read a lot of different stories. um, And one account was uh, they interviewed his girlfriend, who was, I think, the daughter of Pete Maxwell, whose house he went into uh, when he was shot by Pat Garrett, allegedly. Um, Whether or not she was his daughter or she was his girlfriend, she was quoted as saying that that one known picture of him didn't do him justice. (laughs) Because that's worth saying about your criminal boyfriend? Like, is that, like... Truly, it was just a bad picture. They got him on a bad hair day. Or was it like, no, no, I, I, I really do have good taste in men. And, like, I wouldn't date some ugly dude. Oh, my gosh. He that, famous that, that photo of him standing there um, just looking like an absolute pile is it lives rent free. <laughs> it lives rent free in my brain. It's a terrible picture. But it's funny. Like, all those years, they, they thought he was left-handed. But they figured out, like, 50 years later, that it was because most of the prints of it were printed on the reverse side. So they had it flipped. So they, they got it, like, the inverse of it. That's so incredible. he's actually right-handed, but they got it wrong all those People years. come for the entertainment, but let's, let's be honest, Kevin. They lead this podcast smarter. Absolutely. I mean, at least... At least smarter in some ways. Other ways, you know, we probably do kill a few brain cells. Some some ways in the SMRT smart level of Homer Simpson. <laughs> I am so smart. I am so smart. Hey, I have to acknowledge this only because uh, I know my dad listens periodically. He did persuade me to break my anti-Fox News uh, stance and, and actually watch the Legends and Lies series that they put out on various Western figureheads, infamous, infamous people. And the, there's an excellent one, um, Billy the Kid. And 
I actually recently watched it because uh, the History Channel, I found when you download the app on your smart TV, they basically just spam you with documentaries that fill your niche once you put in your right. interests. And I watched right. it, and I'll tell you what, man. I know we keep hearkening back to this, but when I saw Young Guns as a lad, like you did, totally had the same interpretation. Wow, cool Hollywood movie. They're just using the name of some old Western celebrity gunman to uh, sell Hollywood dollars. No, I think actually when you rewatch Young Guns, even Emilio Estevez's portrayal of him as kind of this young cocksure, uh, smart aleck, just quick triggered, kind of a narcissist bad dude, pretty much aligns with all of the interpretation of uh, Billy the Kid as a human being. Yeah, and I have not seen that documentary. Uh, I would be extremely reluctant to break my own rule, uh, but if I were to watch something from fox news it would be billy the kid related <laughs> we, we we kevin and i we try to stay political neutral just like in this podcast so most of our entertainment comes from the years what 1980 <laughs> to, to 1996 roughly and then you i guess you could walk what call the marvel comic universe and uh netflix our viewing platforms going forward as adults well to be fair to be fair uh, I don't watch any cable news. I yeah. prefer to just, you know, think for myself and uh, focus on facts. But anyway, um, I think that is a great point about that portrayal. It, it's it's such a it's such a crazy collision of of characteristics. Ooh, man, we've been we've been bringing the alliteration on this show. Beautiful. Um, but on the one hand, you have this sadistic murderer and on the other hand you have this charming and funny and youthful and talented and like some accounts like even his enemies were like yeah i mean if not for that he was kind of a nice guy <laughs> kind of a goofball lovable goofball yeah, yeah. so uh I, and again i think when you take that that strange concoction and you mix that with uh, improbable but true exploits, that makes a legend. I almost feel like you just uh, you just wrote the brief summary of the book we're going to write on Billy the Kid. Sorry, <laughs> folks. I, I, in full disclosure, we like to break the fourth wall all the time on this podcast. Kevin and I, we masquerade as lowbrow uh, comic book G.I. Joe, action figure, uh, 80s, 90s kids who've never grown up. But in our heart of hearts, we love history. We love history, particularly American history. Uh, I, I made reference to this in one of our previous podcasts, and I'm sorry to have shamed you and even admit that you have an undergraduate degree when you have multiple <laughs> advanced degrees. Um, I went to high school. <laughs> but, but, but having a collegiate background in history... I have to admit, uh, were it not only for just the pecs and the large trapezius muscles, when you told me that when we first met, man, was I smitten. <laughs> the build and the fact that your degree, your undergrad degree, is like based in history was just, man, I could talk to this dude. Well, you're still the only one who can pull off the all-white Terrell Owens uh, Under Armour thing. So. Still see the veins, man. You know what the yeah. trick is when I wear that shirt? I'm not actually wearing a shirt. I'm that white. <laughs> I just put an Under Armour tattoo on my breastplate, and it looks like I'm wearing an Under Armour shirt. So we can't complete a discussion of Young Guns without talking about the music. And you have certainly well and duly touched upon the Warren G. F slash Nate Dog with two Gs oh, classic. Gosh. Nate Dog and Warren G had to regulate on that yeah. song. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, it took both of them, right? Yep. There wasn't just there wasn't just Warren G. Man, what um, an unbelievable rap song. So you you brought up the idea of possibly just you know 
ad-libbing, freestyling, just going off on it, and which I'm still totally fine with if you're so inclined. But I have to get in a quick story. At my, uh, at my matrimonial fiesta, wedding reception, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, my wife and I were very, very meticulous on our playlist, our musical playlist, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. So DJ Stu was very accommodating and so he played all manner of you know indie rock things and you know sort of our little secret sorts of songs but we were we were good to make sure we had some things for you know the the people as well and one of those songs was none other than regulate but not only did we play regulate dj Stu walked around with the entire wedding party which was exceptionally large not the whole reception but like the people who actually stood up in the wedding, it was like 32 people or something. Did you marry a duchess or something? I'm not aware of. (laughs) More on my side. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. But so we all got in a circle and DJ Stu puts on regulate, comes out with the wireless mic and passes around the microphone. So we could just bust out on it right there on the dance floor. I have to admit, um, there's a sense of coolness that every man can relate to when you can start to finish, rip through a rap song. So maybe not so much uh, until our generation, but being able to match the lyrical genius of a famous rapper slash singer and do it in a crowd of your homies. It's a, it's impressive. Like that first dude that you're hanging out with that knows basically every bar of the newest, coolest rap song, immediate credit, right? Dude, I have played on stages. I have played in games in front of lots of people. But one of my biggest thrills was getting a perfect score on Rap God, the video game, mm-hmm. to Welcome to the Terror Dome by Public Enemy. Damn. Perfect, perfect score yeah. in front of a huge party. And I felt like I was on top of the world. And please tell me, because this is how rap works in the human brain. This is actual scientific evidence. So for anyone who wants to fact check me, just go fly a kite. The best rap songs, you can go years without hearing them. The beat drops, you know the entire thing. Oh, you're 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 falling right back into it. Regulate is regulate is one of many of those songs because you know me, I lean rap. Um, I am a I'm about as G'd up as most of the homies that are out there doing it in the real real spaces, you know. The, yeah, the, yeah. the homies serving time, the homies on the block, um, they share a category with me in terms of my hooddom. So yes. you know that I love rap music. And to say that Regulate is a rap song that no matter what mood I'm in, you put it on. My mood has now changed to being smiling. It says a lot. Well, you usually do. But there's no doubt that you do play above the rim when that song comes on, OC. Great reference. Thank you. Um, you know, it's funny. So in, in my research for this, I love, you know how I love reading critical reviews. Yes, you, lo- you, you love reading critical reviews in the way that most human beings lo- love scanning their Instagram accounts <laughs> incessantly. I find it. I find it partially amusing, partially insulting that some people get paid to say mean things about other people. And just tear some of our most favorite things apart. Yeah, well, especially when, like, you never made a movie. What are you talking about? Make your own movie. But anyway, one of the best ones, I came across one, and I don't have it at my fingertips. Just, I guess you'll have to trust me that it exists. But (laughs) this one guy... One of the only things he could say about Young Guns was the writing style. And 
I want to believe that he was saying this tongue-in-cheek, but I honestly don't think he was. He thought that the line that Charlie Bowdry utters, his little diatribe about, you know, regulating any stealing of Mr. Tunstall's property that made its way into <laughs> regulate the song. He thought that that was actually written as some kind of like poetic, like, you know, proto rap. And I'm like, what? No. If, if, if you, if, if in 1988, you saw young guns at the theater and thought, Oh, Who's going to be the first one to put that in a rap song? Like, what are you talking about? No, it just it shows the creativity of someone like Warren G. You know, it, it shows the creativity of someone like Nate Dogg, where here's how I picture it, okay? In my mind, this is how I picture it. Nate Dogg, Warren G., they're watching Young Guns. They may or may not be, um, what's the family-friendly way of putting this? They may or may not be themselves due to certain substances. Yeah. They're chilling in the cut. They're admiring the movie. They're probably watching it for the hundredth time like you and I did back in the day. Yep. And all of a sudden, as these creative rap geniuses do they just kind of start coming out with a little bit of a vibe. And the next thing you know, they have a rap song written about young guns. Yeah. Well, they, they did a little self-reflection. They, they, I think realized perhaps not for the first time, but uh, very vividly and distinctly that they're not any geeks off the street. No. And they may or may not have been handy with the steel. If you know what I mean? Yeah, but they earn their keep. No doubt. And, and that was part of that self-realization. It was a big moment for them. I think there was a lot of growth. There was some exploration. And, uh, you know, it sort of propelled them into their next realm of consciousness. I did read one time that um, the night that they wrote the song was actually a clear black night. You know, I, 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 this probably was a rumor. I mean, you know how these things get started. But I did hear that it was a clear white moon as well. Mm-hmm. Strange, though, that they would even talk about, like, the lunar part of the night when they were, you know, writing this. Well, especially when they were on the street trying to consume. It's a strange time to be thinking about that. Yeah. Um, now, both of them, they're from, what, the east side of the LBC? I believe that's correct. Okay. Yeah. And Nate Dog was usually the one that would come drive over to... Warren G's house in almost like a mission type way. Yeah, as if he was trying to find him. But they always, you know, it's the LBC, it's the summer, it's it's a clear night sometimes. It's, you're you're going to see maybe a car full of girls. And, I mean, if you can put yourself in their place and time, they were more than likely looking real swell. Yes, yes. Now everybody knows. Everybody knows the area code of the LBC, right? What is it, Kevin? Well, it's not quite to the Detroit level, so it's one less. It's actually two one three. The two one three, right? And what happens if you, uh, let's say, you're hypothetically driving to your friend's house in the LBC, and you hook the left on two one and Lewis? Well, you might see some brothers shooting dice, you're probably going to just say, let's do this. Okay. So if you jumped out the ride and said, I don't know, something like, what's up to this group of dudes, what might happen if they're not the nicest guys in the world? Well, then big K and OC may have to regulate. Yeah. I hope to God they never pull some gats because then you and I'd be stuck. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we don't we don't believe in that. We're nonviolent. Well, if I could put myself in their position and then transport it back to eighteen seventy eight, Billy the kid probably was thinking he got five in the wheel 
and one in the hole, Billy Kidd is about to make a Murphy turn cold. If anyone hasn't picked up on it yet, <laughs> BK and I are moving ourselves through the lyrics of Regulate. Again, Warren G and dog And I don't know how I'm fighting you and I just doing the entire song a cappella, <laughs> because it's such a good rap song. And the fact that it relates back to this movie and it came out after the, like, I live in a world, Kevin, where a lot of things just kind of fold into one another. Mm -hmm. And I just like to believe that this song was actually in the movie. And when they hit the credits, that's when Regulate comes on. I think today it probably would. I think it would, like, we've been a little bit more sort of, like, attuned and, you know, uh maybe sandpapered a bit so we're not so rigid about what we expect to see. I actually, you know, this sort of harkens back to our discussion of uh, Peaky Blinders and the music. Um, one of the first things that grabs you about Young Guns, at least for me, the very, 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 very beginning, the beginning credits of the first movie, you have this awesome, modern, it sounds like, a Rocky Forge soundtrack song almost. It's this like big drums and like rousing keys and this awesome guitar lick. It's like, you know, Emilio Estevez called Young Guns a heavy metal Western and he was referring to like the style and sort of irreverence of it. He could have been referring to the soundtrack. And you, I mean, that's not going to be in like Fistful of Dollars or High Plains Drifter or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Can I sidetrack you for a second? Or may I? Yeah. May, may I sidetrack you? You, you, you may. You may. Sorry, Sister Geraldine. I keep doing it. I apologize. Um, do soundtracks hit as hard now as they did back in our day? Um, I don't know. I think, well, this is really going to get us sidetracked. It's but fine. It's fine. For some, it probably does, or they probably do. Um, I know my wife is very big on the Barbie soundtrack at the moment. Um, and like, uh, what was the uh, uh, Greatest Showman? That was a big one. But I think the difference today is you're more than likely just to have one big song rather than a collection of songs because for too many people, um, the concept of like the album has sort of dissipated. Um, it's coming back. Uh, thanks to vinyl being a thing, which I'm, I'm obviously big on, but uh, I'd like to see it more of a soundtrack because you think of like the best ones, think of like, you know, Top Gun or like Judgment Night, you know, big ones from our era, Rocky Four. Those were all about the collection. It wasn't just one or two or even three songs. It was like bunches of them. I feel like our, the movies in our day, 80s, 90s, the soundtracks were just so complete. You know, yeah. you walked scene by scene. The one that I always, in my opinion, it's it's the goat, which doesn't mean much because my opinion, I mean, you just heard my wife scream at me and my children on the podcast. My opinion doesn't mean, <laughs> much, doesn't mean much, but. It Rock does on this podcast and on this podcast only. BK, Rocky Four. Yeah. Like moving from scene to scene. Every song on that soundtrack bangs. Oh, yeah. And it's so appropriate for the scene in the movie. It, like, perfectly... I hate the fact that South Park is so brilliant and has made fun of basically everything. But when they do the Stan Marsh montage and they're just making up the like fake lyrics to a Rocky Four bastardization... <laughs> They're not too far off from the actual songs of those 80s action movies, especially during the montages, but they work. They totally work. And maybe you had to kind of be there to think that it was cool and not just funny, but whatever, they totally work. But Young Guns is no exception. I mean, I, it's not, I wouldn't put it up there in terms of a collection of songs, but the main themes. Uh, the first one, the main theme is amazing. The second one, Alan Silvestri did the soundtrack. Mm. And 
need I say anything else other than he did among a billion other huge movies, Predator. So there you go. Um, that that main theme is outstanding, and you had what was a huge hit at the time, uh, John Bon Jovi's "Blaze of Glory." Yes. Which, say what you want about Bon Jovi, uh, that song is awesome. Well, you know, the older I get, and I am getting old. The older I get, my level of hating, it, it, it's declining at an exponential rate. I mean, for goodness sake, Kevin, I have now seen the Backstreet Boys live in concert three times. Podcast over. Okay. It's done. It's done. I didn't know that. And <laughs> I'll tell you right now, as an objective uh, person, watching anybody do what they do in their environment at its best is exceptional. Watching a professional ping pong player hit a ping pong ball against a wall and practice is exceptional. Watching a professional chess player play a machine, even though I don't play chess, my brain doesn't work that way. It's exceptional. Watching someone at a, a local fair, like the Plymouth art fair, this this gal out there earlier this summer, she had a bucket of sidewalk chalk and she was creating a mural like a mural in, in real time. Kevin, I would have stood there the entire day where my kids not crying and my wife threatening to divorce me unless I moved. So I don't know you know, I did not fact check this, but there's a great scene in Young Guns 2 when Billy the Kid uh surrendered, which is true surrendered because he thought he had a deal with the governor uh for a pardon and you know he was going to testify and that's all true and he was double crossed by the governor uh which is why he escaped which is also true but before that happens there's a scene where the governor and like you know his his little throng of dudes they're in like the parlor or something like that and Billy the Kid puts on a shooting display. Do you remember that? Yeah. It, he, like, shoots the candles off, and, and they're like, Splendid, William, but you only have two bullets and, you know, four more things to hit or whatever. And he shoots the, the end of the candle holder to spin it, and then he shoots the remaining candles with the last bullet. That's artistry, man. Like, I, I don't know if that happened. I guess probably it didn't, but... If I could watch somebody do that and not worry about, you know, like a ricochet or, you know, Billy the Kid just being in a bad mood, yeah, I'd sit there and watch that all day. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not hating on anybody who does something awesome. I'm not hating on Bon Jovi. 20 years ago, I probably would have said, Bon Jovi! Now I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> bon Jovi's got more money than I ever will. Bon Jovi's been able to impact millions of people's lives, and Bon Jovi's a talented artist, so maybe his music isn't my cup of tea, but the guy is awesome at what he does. And anybody that does something at the pinnacle of what they're doing, it's it's a sight to be seen. Yeah, and if he's not a jerk about it, then that's cool. Yeah. So I did want to ask you, and we got to wrap up here, but uh, I don't know if you saw, because I don't know if you read anything that I sent you, but in that interview with Emilio Estevez... Did it have pictures about, in it? Yeah, it had pictures. Oh, then I Yeah, I probably didn't read it. Because I just, I look at pictures. Oh, I said it did have pictures. I can't read. Well, I'll have Emilio Estevez, like, you know, draw you a, uh, some kind of Marvel-esque. Is this a text story. you sent me on Monday? Anyway, yes. Yeah, I read it. I read it. Twice. I read it. All right. So at the end of it, he hints that there is a Young Guns 3 that's been developed and may possibly might could actually happen. Okay, so the fact that I that I read this, do you want me to prove it to you? I went on YouTube and had to search up Young Guns 3, and there's a video on YouTube of him talking about Young Guns 3. All right, so thank you. <laughs> what do you think? Like, I mean... As he said, you probably can't call it young guns, <laughs> but I mean, I kind of like the way they wrapped it up, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's I mean, the, they, they didn't wrap it up in a factually 
accurate manner no. entirely. All, all, although the, the whole brushy Bill Roberts thing was true. In fact, there were two people claiming to be Billy the Kid, but that actually happened. Yeah, the cool um, thing to do with Western uh, folklore is to claim so-and-so was never killed. Yeah, I think it's, you know, that speaks again to sort of the legend. Just, Aren't there several members of the uh, the James gang who purportedly were not killed and actually lived out their days? Yeah, it could be. But like in the movie, you know, spoiler alert, but you know, maybe Billy's dead, maybe he's not. Doc Skurlock's dead, which was not true. Charlie Bowdery's dead, Dirty Steve's dead, all those are true. Tom's dead, that's true. Chavez Chavez, uh Jose Chavez Chavez, uh killed in the movie probably. You're sort of like you're led to believe he dies, but in real life he didn't. Uh, Dave Rudabaugh, you're told he dies later, which was true. So, I mean, my point is you maybe could have the bones to sort of build out uh, a structure of characters if you wanted to do a third. I'm just not sure where you would go with it. So we're in the trust tree, right? We are, yes. And nobody else is <laughs> nobody else listening to this? Continue. <laughs> what I thought, I thought we were... Just, Tom Cruise, told you before, I'd watch him, uh, you know, paint my fence. I'd watch him mop the kitchen. I'd watch him in a blockbuster movie. Tom Cruise, Mark, guilty. So I could be skewed by this. I didn't need, nor did I even want, a Top Gun remake. I watched it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a remake. Not a re- not a re- okay, Mr. Pedantic over here. Mr. <laughs> Lawyer, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I don't know an offshoot of of Top Gun. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a it's a continuation. Okay, you can't call it a sequel either because it's I mean it's not, but a continuation of um, an already classic cool movie. Yeah, he completely restored my faith in watching old guys do stuff. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick was insanely good, despite yeah. my misgivings about the actor. But oh my yeah, gosh! I just, but but I guess the point in that one is that there was arguably still somewhere you could go. Um, Goose was the only one who was dead, uh, so I, I don't know. Like I would watch it, but I'm just having a hard time picturing what they would do with it. That's so, the thing. We'll That's the thing. We don't get paid to be Hollywood writers. If had you asked me, like, with the Top Gun Maverick movie, are they going to do anything with this script that's actually cool and fun and enjoyable? I, I, I my negative Nancy hat. I was wearing doubles of that thing, man. I had a negative Nancy hat on. I had a negative Nancy dress on. But that movie rocked, and I feel like. There's an audience out there. There's a lot of us 80s, 90s kids who like watching our heroes do things that if they did a Young Guns 3 and they got 33% of the cast to be in it, it would do well. Yeah, I think I think there would certainly be interest there. Um, you know, they're writing a story about its 35th anniversary. So, you know, clearly people would still, you know, at least enough people I think are interested enough. So we'll see. Again, I would I would check it out. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm kind of loyal like that. So uh, I'm always loyal like that. I bring mean, it on, Emilio. Let's how, see it. How often? How often have we talked about one of the more recent franchises in action movie lore being absolutely awesome and killing it? And it was basically just a bunch of old storylines from '80s and, and '90s action movies all thrown together with basically the same guys. The Expendables. Yeah. And they're going to do another Expendables. But again, that one, there's, they didn't already, like, wrap it up, you know? Like, they always left the door open. They really kind of, sort of did that in Young Guns, but they would have some, uh, a little bit of revisionist uh, Hollywood history. To, to pull it off, but they can do it. You can write your way around most anything. Just, you know, will it make sense? And Absolutely. Palatable, but we'll see. If your question we'll is, see. would I watch it? Would I 
when it comes out on Amazon three months after it's released and doesn't do amazing in the theater, yes, I'd watch it. And would you pay more than like 30 cents to go watch it at the theater? No, you would not. No, but that's just because it's me, you know. Exactly. I can do a lot. I can do a lot with 30 cents. I, I could I could offer you an original signed print of like the opening credits shot of the entire regulator crew for like three bucks and you'd be like mm, no 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 I think if I wait until 2079 I'll be able to get it for 299 so no. well that would rob you of me complaining about it until 2079. <laughs> which i've done with basically everything that you're like dude you should have pulled the trigger on that yeah well, that's why that's why you're a financial guru and i'm just a jack you know who buys toys and stuff well you know what <laughs> you always have a smile painted on that beautiful face of yours most well of i appreciate you i'm gonna go get some work done all right buddy this was a good one uh folks Huge, huge, uh, another historic event in the podcast. We're now on Amazon Music and Amazon Podcasts. So Amazon Music, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify for podcasters, Spotify, general platform. So support us, like us. You know, it's been awesome, Kevin. A lot of Q&A lately, a lot of comments. I love the comments. Good. Yep. So well. The way to support us is leave comments. The way to support us is obviously to listen, but pass it around because um, this is a little bit of a, what is it? They, uh, what do they call that? Uh, it's like a, a hobby of passion, passion project, right? For us. But it is cool to see other people, I don't know, tune out for half hour, hour or something and think about the things that you and I talk about when we're walking around the track at the gym. Amen. And uh, by the way, there's one place I will not be stopping on my way home from work today. Where is it? I will not be stopping at the Eastside Motel. That was really well done. I almost felt like if I closed my (laughs) eyes, I almost thought that was the smooth vocal abilities of one Nate dog. BK with like two Ks. <laughs> Such a good song. <laughs> if you take anything away from this podcast, folks, regulate. Warren G. Nate Dog. Regulators! Mount up, baby. Dr. Kev. <laughs>